Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I have the second part of the interview with Linda Hoover, in which we discuss the practical art of equine biomechanics and how it's related to mail order brides and ballet bar exercises. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Welcome back to the second part of the interview with Linda Hoover. As we were finishing up part one, Linda and I were discussing the idea of what kind of responsibilities does the rider have to the horse in terms of being the leader of the dance? That then led us right into the subject of equine biomechanics. And I say we have to lead because for no other reason we know to look for traffic. Right, right. We have the whole frontal lobe thing, which is super helpful. Yeah. Right. Again, they don't intend to get us hurt, but they make poor decisions for themselves. They do. And in making a poor decision for themselves, they've taken us with them. Right. 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 And because we love them, we need to leave. It's like with children. Most parents are able to stop their child by saying their name. And with the horse, if we can't stop them by reaching, you know, for the lead rope or the bit or stop them with our leg, we might not be able to keep them safe. There might be a rattlesnake. There could be a hole. Another horse is going to kick him and they need to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to have them be responsive because we love them. Right. Right. And then from there, we've, that allows us to keep them safe. We can go on and take that response and shape it to again, do, you know, really extraordinary things. I think that leads really nicely into the topic of equine biomechanics, mm-hmm. because I think that's something that is often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And I can't claim to have studied it as exhaustively as you have, but that is definitely something that I've been paying a lot more attention to the last, let's say, four years, really understanding, like, it's not just directing the horse's feet any old way. Mm-hmm. It's directing the horse's feet in a way that they can feel straight and secure and have sort of... Um, uh, start to build some suppleness, start to build some relaxation. You can move a horse around in its current braces. Again, I work with war horses off mm-hmm. the track. They know how to move their feet in right. braces. So that's not, it's not, the, not that kind of moving the feet. It's not punitive either. It's not like you better move your feet because I'm upset with you. It's not like that at all. And also even sometimes different disciplines, they can be very successful horses, very successful show horses. I've worked with some of these horses through Horsewise that are all different breeds, and if they've been very competitive in some disciplines, they may have developed uh, braces or they've been rewarded for movement that actually doesn't serve them biomechanically over the long term. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to hear from you, like kind of your, your thought on how you came to really be so much more aware of biomechanics and how that's so important, not just in performance, but in in the horse's well-being. That's it. It's for the health of the horse. Yeah. Horses, they really don't separate their mind from their body. If their body doesn't feel good, they don't feel good mentally. Now, like I might say to you, hey, Lynn, how do you feel? How are you? And you go, fine. I'm like, no, really, how do you feel? And you're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, my back's bothering, my hip's bothering me. You know, I've got this foot pain. We've learned to disassociate. We can live in our head, disconnect from our body and go, no, really, I'm fine. I'm good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And we just we just live with it. Horses, on the other hand, haven't really disconnected. And so if they don't feel good in the body, they don't feel good mentally. And if they don't feel mentally, there's a posture, like you talk about the braces. And braces, what we're going to say, a negative tension in the muscle mm-hmm. when we talk about a brace. And if the horse is bothered mentally, that's going to be reflected in his body. Um, for instance, if you're late 
you're driving somewhere and you're late. Do you find yourself tense and like pulling forward on the steering wheel? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that mental, mental state of being late has a physical posture that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to sort of talk yourself like, well, settle back. I can't really do anything about being late. And the next thing you know, you're pulling, your shoulders are tight and you're pulling yourself up on the, by the steering wheel mm-hmm. you know, with the anxiety. So their mental state and their physical is tied together. From the health standpoint of the horse, when we look at how the body's designed to function, we need to give you know thought to that. And the example I'll give, it's like women wearing stiletto heels. Mm-hmm. Do you wear you know high heels anymore? No. Okay. I rarely did because I got most of my height by the time I was 12. So okay. I, I always wanted to minimize my height. Oh, okay. But they make your calves look so shapely. They do. They do. But then right. I can't walk. I fall over. But yeah, that's and that's me. exactly it. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's a fashion trend that we will do that we want for women. But you'll see most women, what they've done is they're either wear flats somewhere and carry those shoes, put them on for the party or whatever, or if they were their only shoes, somewhere along the party, they're standing next to their shoes. Right, right. right. So that's a fashion trend. What we have to recognize with many of the showing styles now is that we have taken the horse's body and manipulated it into ways to create a particular trend in the way they want the horses to go. It's a silhouette sometimes, too, almost. Yes, and you think about like for rainers, you know, years ago when the horses did the sliding stop, the head came up. Mm-hmm. Now they've changed it where the head's going down and slide. You know, Western Pleasure, we've seen you know a lot of changes in that, how those horses have gone, where they're now going slower, the heads are lower. They're trying to bring that back to where it's a more natural way of going for the horse. And the Ranch Horse Program has done a lot for that to bring the horse back to a more natural way of going. A working horse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen changes in the dressage world. Um, what used to be uh, a horse that had less knee action now, now we're starting to see horses with more what I'm going to call big motion, which would be a term I would pull for my saddle seat days. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing a hotter horse, bigger motion, mm-hmm. and some of those horses are more troubled as a, a result of the way they go. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, again, the woman wearing the high heels. I can be really uncomfortable physically, but because I go, but, it, but it's for the greater good, I look really good. Right. I'm willing to suffer through the pain. The horse says, when you make me go in this posture, my back hurts. They don't know why. And they're like, well, you look really good. They don't understand that. All they know is their body's not designed to be able to go that way. So now we end up damaging their bodies. Mm-hmm. And we upset them mentally. We damage their bodies. And now we've shortened their usefulness and their health because of that. So many times I'll meet horses coming out of the show pan. It's not what people intend. It's just the net result is that horses that are really troubled and broken down. At mm-hmm. such early ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about where dressage came about originally was ways of working with the horses that would help keep them sound. When you're on a military campaign, you need horses to stay sound day after day after day. Yeah, you, you pull a suspensory and you just lost the battle potentially. Like, right. Or you lost your life. Right. Yeah. And so they had those horses to be able to be responsive, but go in a way the horse's body is designed to go where... You'll hear me ask people when the horse is walking, is the emphasis of the nod of the horse's head? Because in the walk, the head nods up and down. Is the emphasis on the up or the down? Mm -hmm. If the horse is walking and every time he kind of pulls his head up, he's dropping his back down and hollowing his back. If the emphasis of the nod is down, then every time he lowers his head down, the nod down, now he's opening up his back. Mm -hmm. And that makes a a big difference, again, to the health of the horse than having him go in that inverted state. So we really should be understanding how a horse's body is designed to work. Otherwise, it's like getting something, and we're all guilty of this. 
How many of us don't read the instructions? Oh, me, never. <laughs> yeah, right, until we have trouble. Right, and then we go, oh, that's not working out at all. Right, right. so yeah. we can do that sometimes with the horse is that we just get a horse and we start into it and we don't learn about the horse, how they're designed to their bodies work. Right. We just kind of pick a fashion trend of a style that the horse, that, of showing or what, and then we think, well, that ought to work. Right. Until the horse now gets mentally troubled or he's now unsound, kissing spine, where the spinous processes when a horse is carrying his back inverted, mm -hmm. those start to get closer together and then they can calcify and it's called kissing spine. Right. Well, it's very painful for the horse. So now how are you going to help them out of it? Well, that's where you need to start changing and now you have to expand the spine where they lift the back and the spinous processes separate. Mm -hmm. But without knowing that, we might pick a showing, a showing style or a way of training that actually now creates that. Now we need to understand more about how the horse functions so that we can help work him out of it and get him more in his natural posture. And then, of course, the horse becomes more balanced mentally. And that's yes. really the thing that sometimes um, I, think, I think sometimes people maybe rely on the horse being shut down. I see that a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Or they assume that because my horse is high performance, maybe this is something that might happen a little more in a sport like dressage. Of course, he's flamboyant. He's he's an upper level horse, so he has a lot of flamboyance. When it might really be like you said, this big motion uh, that's coming from trouble. And I always feel like you get your best performance, your true athletic performance, when the horse is balanced physically. And that might mean in the short term, you might be giving up certain kinds of scores in order to develop your horse's physique in a way that they can carry themselves in that kind of good manner but ultimately you always get better performance because I know a lot of people listen to the podcast and they ride in shows and they love to show mm -hmm. and they're like well I don't want to not show but what how can I adapt to this and it's like well if you this is really like I always call it like the horse yoga or the horse uh, Pilates mm -hmm. you know if you get that right just like with a person any athlete is improved by that and you may eventually come to re-examine your sport you may decide that your horse actually might do better in a variation again like maybe ranch style might be better for some horses versus other things but you still will have a horse that's balanced physically and mentally and and that is such a that is such a, a wonderful sensation to sit on that it is something that uh, is worth a little extra time. I feel like it's worth a lot of extra time, actually. And then you get to change as the rider, too, because all that stuff you're doing for your horse to help your horse, it's helping you, too. You also get physically more balanced. You get mentally more balanced. Right. You ride both sides of your body, too. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I find really unique is that this process tends to uh, the horse and the rider mirror each other in positive ways. It always changes the person in ways that are, are beneficial if the person's open to taking the time to help the horse. You go to help the horse, you always end up really helping yourself, I feel like. Absolutely. We're sort of a fast-paced society, and we tend to want to just buy outcomes, in yes. a sense. And it's sort of like I use, you know, sort of about ballet. We just want to buy the toe shoes and dance on point. Right. Instead of saying that there's years of development and that our horses need to be physically fit for the job that they do. Otherwise, just like us, if we were to do something we weren't physically fit, we're going to, over time, break down because we're not using the right muscles. Right. And same thing for those horses, and that means that they need to be ridden, you know, ridden regularly with what I'm going to call quality that pays attention to 
what as you were called, you know, sort of yoga for horses. How are they carrying themselves? Are they, you know, stepping under with a hind leg? Are they round in their back? Um, are they, you know, balanced laterally as well? A lot of times you'll see a horse with a head tilt, you mm-hmm. know, laterally. One ear will be lower than the other. Well, what does that tell me? Well, let's say his left ear is dropped. Then I know his left shoulder's dropped, mm-hmm. and I know his right hind is high. high. Mm-hmm. And so in order for me to help that horse, I've got to teach him how to, you know, lift a shoulder, how to lower a hind, you know, a, a hind quarter, and to be able to bring them into balance. And all of that is done through slow work. As you know, I spend a lot of time at the walk, what I kind of call ballet bar exercises. The horses are learning to posture themselves, how to... Um, you know, step a right foot to the right, how to lift a left shoulder, how to make their body parts independent so that we can put them to rebalance or rebalance them in certain ways and create movements. But without having to teach them sort of their, they don't know their ABCs, how do we talk in sentences and paragraphs? Exactly. There's got to be a common alphabet, I'll sort of refer to, that we, the horse and you agree upon that when you ask him this he goes oh you want me to move my left four you want me to do these various things and then we can make more complicated stories but Mm -hmm. the horse understands the basic postures that make up the various movements so we're not just saying i want the end result right and the horse is like i don't know what you're talking about i have no idea how to get there and then if we just punish him for not knowing then we discourage them to where they don't want to try right right and and i also think that uh, I've seen this a lot in different clinics, and it, people are often unaware. I put myself in this category too, of that sometimes a horse has a foot that's stuck. Not that it's like cemented on the ground, but it consistently has difficulty lifting that foot at the right time mm-hmm. with enough of a stride that another foot can follow, usually a hind foot. And once you see that, once you train your eye to look at your horse not as he never does shoulder in right or I can't get this horse to leg yield properly, instead of seeing it that way, just look, well, look at actually how that horse's body is moving as if you're an alien and you have no idea what you're mm-hmm. seeing. And you'll start to see that pattern. And that's another element that I find really beneficial is sort of helping people train their eyes to see things that they've not used to looking for rather than, oh, he just doesn't do this well. It's like, actually, there's a there's some specific sequence that's happening right. there. And if you can see that and you can become aware of that, you can help that horse learn that they can move a different way. Not by saying you're doing it wrong, but more by saying, hey, you're, you think, the horse thinks, well, if I lift this foot up too much, I'm going to fall over because I'm used to having my balance a different way. So you maybe ask that horse to try just moving a half an inch more mm-hmm. and release and pet. And that horse goes, oh, that wasn't so bad. Um, and then it all falls into place, right? But if you don't see it to begin with, then you just feel like you're always kind of banging up against a brick wall. And again, I feel like the horses really appreciate when you have that awareness, even if you're not sure what to do. If you do notice that a foot is stuck or whatever the posture is that the horse has gotten into habitually, that it thinks that it can't have that flexibility, when you're aware of it and you at least try to, you go from that trying to guide the horse and help the horse you go into that versus the mode of do this now do it right that horse always really appreciates that it's not about being um it's not about uh relaxing your standard it's understanding that the horse has no way to get there and you have to kind of help break it down like you would for a child absolutely a lot of times we're talking over their heads and they didn't understand like for me i stand when i'm on foot 
I tend to stand with my weight on my right foot and my mm -hmm. left leg bent. And in that posture, it's really easy for me to turn left. Right. And it, so most of the time, without even thinking, I turn left. And in fact, one day, I needed to pick up something to my right, and I turned three-quarters of the way around to the left because I'm positioned to the left. Oh, yeah. Well, in order to turn to the right, what I need to do is shift my weight to my left foot. Right. And then unweight the right and reach to the right. Yeah. Well, if I were a horse, I would always be picking up left lead. Right. But if you want me to pick up my right lead... That's a whole thing. I, I, I couldn't. I can't <laughs> yeah. pick up my right lead from that posture. No. And you can punish me. Right. But I can't. It's physically impossible for me to make the right lead in that posture. So you teach me to shift my weight. Right. Now my right foot becomes available. I can pick up the right lead. Right. And it's things like that that's as simple as it sounds, but it isn't, you know, as, right. as easy, the <laughs> practical application. When we talk about a stuck foot is that what foot, I usually say it's the one closest to the line of travel. So if I want to go forward and to the right, I'm going to look at that horse's right fore. And if right. it's not moving, chances are the right fore is either has too much weight on it, it's not moving at all, or it's moving somewhere else but not on the line that I want to go to. So it becomes like a log jam. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness they only have four feet. Right. And so I think about where is it that I want to go, what foot is closest to the line of travel, and then go, is that foot getting out of the way? Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't, the other three feet have nowhere to go. Mm -mm. They can go around it, right? But they can't go. They can't follow it, right? And some sometimes with these horses, it's just a matter of teach them how to shift their weight. Right. You think about when you dance with someone. It's we call it about following the feel. You're constantly shifting your weight to take the next step. Right. But if you couldn't shift your weight, you couldn't follow the feel. You couldn't take the next step, right? right. And same thing with the horses. They need to learn to follow our direction. But in order to follow, they have to be willing to shift their weight to take the next step. And if they end up going away from our direction, well, now they're headed somewhere else. The dance only gets harder for them. Right. They need to understand how to be guided. Right, right. As opposed to, I think a lot of times we get in the habit of saying, okay, I want to do this particular maneuver. And what I want, I want the horse to do it. And I'm offering these aids and they're very rigid. And, and when the horse actually does the maneuver now I'm going to hold him in place and it's like well that's just no fun right so the horse feels like if I move in or out or try to try to experiment with this it just feels rigid all the way around like when to kind of soften and give and and help the horse shift the weight like given our seat bones or give in the key area that allows that horse to feel like there's space there that that is that is the quiet spot to be and um, we're all such overachievers sometimes, I think, like we really want to do it right. And so uh, we tend to say to the horse, again, unintentionally, go here, stay here, <laughs> don't, don't experiment. And then the horse doesn't really understand the difference between being in the right place or being in the wrong place because both feel tight. It feels the same, exactly. It feels exactly the same. And we don't perceive it that way on their backs because we want to do it right. But sometimes doing it right is being more fluid ourselves and understanding. If you understand the biomechanics, if you understand what foot is stuck, you're going to be a lot less likely to try to keep the other feet in place. You're going to be like, oh, we got to, we got to kind of massage this whole process a little bit so that the horse can, can lighten up. Um, yeah, I just think it's really interesting how it always affects the rider. The riders really we are sort of the source of things. A horse can bring things to the table, but we're the ones on their backs. And so to the extent that we can be self-aware too, then we can arrange our body to help the horse arrange his body effectively. Well, 
we say, oh, I want my horse to mirror me. You know, the, horse, right. the best the horse can do is mirror us. And at first, it's like, oh, if only he would mirror me. And then, and then we go, oh, oh crap, he's he, mirroring me. <laughs> he's mirroring me. It's, it's not what I meant. Right. And the horse is like, it's all I've got to go on. Right. So if somebody's leaning, you know, to one side, well, that's going to be hard for the horse to turn in that direction. He's going to go the other way because of how our body's positioned. He's going to end up, our hips are sending him one way, our shoulders are sending him another. And so it's a little confusing. And it's being able to, as you've said, you know, align our body in a balanced way where we can give a clear message right. to the horse. Because the best he can do is mirror us. Right. It, it's just, it, it goes back to, too, like um, that partnership element is a very practical thing. You know, sometimes people who might be more, again, competitive, they might be like, oh, you know, the, the mirroring thing or the partnership, that sounds kind of, uh, you know, new age weird. But it's it's a very practical thing. All All sports, all all teams you have to have a partnership you have to know that you know if you're gonna if you're gonna pass that ball that your receiver is in position and then mm-hmm. so there's a working partnership it's not in any way uh, a reduction of the athletic skill or of the overall goal and um i just i always find the partnership the individual nature of each horse to be a really fascinating thing too and their bodies tend to mirror it just like people. Like you said, if you're, a, if you're a more anxious person, you tend to be a little more kind of upright in your mm-hmm. posture. You might be leaning forward. And horses are like that too. If you have a horse whose default is maybe a little bit maybe more nervous energy or they're more high energy, mm-hmm. if you're always trying to shut that down, that's not a good match. You know, that horse does need a forward job. Now, they can still move forward and be more balanced mm-hmm. and be not troubled. But trying to fit these horses into things that might not suit them is also something that um, I find interesting, too. You know, horses and riders, they need to to be a good match mentally and physically. And uh, I think that's really fun when you help the horses and the riders kind of find each other as a partner. It's a little bit like mallard or bride when you get a horse. Yeah, it is. is. You know, and and in this day and age, we see a lot of people that will buy a horse unseen from off the internet. Absolutely, yeah. And it truly is male or bride. Yeah. And we think then we're supposed to live happily ever after. You know, it's been said that it can take up to a year to, for a horse and a rider done well to really get to know each other and form a good, strong partnership because it's a, our language is based on feel. Mm-hmm. And it's like a good dance team. You know, if you were to suddenly change dance partners, it would take a bit to be able to get in sync with each other and, right. again, to develop that common language, common, you know, understanding. Uh, and we need to be working for that. It's like, why did we get a horse? It's like, you know, we didn't get one so we could argue. No. And they didn't want to argue. They really do want to get along. Some have been taught to argue just like some people right. have been taught right. to argue. To be contrarian, yeah. Yeah. And it's not what they'd really like to do. You could channel that behavior to something else, but that's what they've just learned to do. Those kind of people can really be good, good in competition like horses that way. Or the competition can be that they spend their time kind of fighting fighting with us instead right. of the two of you doing something together and building that teamwork. And then, as you say, having creative ways to build teamwork. Some, some are going to find certain jobs, not trying to take you know, a square peg and shove it in a round hole. Right. And it can be challenging when we bought a horse and it's like, this is the job we want. And then we find out he's not really happy with that. Right. But And many times I'll see somebody realize that and then they will change what they want to do and fit the horse and find something more suitable because they really care about that horse and they want that horse in their life. And then other people end up just going through a lot of horses. Right. And that's unfortunate because what I think about is sometimes, well, a lot of times, what happens to those horses? You know, there's a lot of horses flunking out of life. You know, when we think about horses that end up 
you know, headed to slaughter yeah. or in, in these, those auctions, most of them, they're out of lack of training. Mm-hmm. It's lack of training. Yes, or the unsound horses or the, the old horses, but so many of them, it's a lack of training that have caused them to now be flunking out of life. For sure. And I have a friend who runs a very successful uh, animal group, Austin Pets Alive. They've actually, Austin's become no kill partially due to their efforts. And I remember talking to one of the heads of their uh, dog divisions, and she said the the puppy syndrome was one of the hardest things where people would come and adopt a really cute puppy. And then they would return that puppy six, seven months later. They hadn't maybe put the training into the puppy. The puppy had become a little bit you know, rambunctious, it didn't have good boundary set. Now they have an eight-month-old puppy that isn't as cute, that's large, that's poorly socialized and has behavioral issues, and the group would have to put a lot of time into getting that that dog kind of retrained, so to speak. And then they started putting more effort into educating the people, mm-hmm. you know, about puppies are, you know, they require training. Well, horses are giant puppies, and nothing's worse than, um, in terms of resale value, than a horse that has been, you know, bought with good intentions, but maybe not properly, you know, given consistent training, consistent handling. Maybe that horse has a little bit more of a, of a dominant nature, which mm-hmm. can be a great thing for many sports and activities. But it is something that you need to consistently work with the horse to direct it properly. Now the horse is a little bit of a, of a you know not as much fun to work with and you have to be somewhat skilled to understand that and then they come into auction and then who gets them at that point right and it's not that they're a bad horse it's just that they need to have some schooling done and it's not that the people who got them were bad they just didn't maybe have the skill in the background so anything that maybe helps people understand that a little bit this takes time this isn't this isn't a disney movie where you you get this you know really cute paint pony from Facebook and then you kind of ride off into the sunset together and never have to you know work out bumps in the relationships or work out boundaries or work up work out consistency like you've talked about like you you have a consistency that you expect the horse you offer the horse consistency because they have uh you know responsibilities to bring to the partnership as well like and good manners you know it's a that's the best kindness we can have is consistency yeah with them so that horse understands where he needs to be yeah uh, and you're right you know so many times we see in the you know in the, the rescue world like with animals the small animals where the ones that just keep getting returned because nobody spent the time right you know when you have a living being whether it's a horse child or a dog they need an investment from us of time and it isn't just time and I'm gonna say you know well quality time well, what does that mean well it's understanding what that individual's needs are and then adapting to those needs you know, some, so many times we say, well, this is what you get because that's what I have to offer. Right. Well, if you're lucky, maybe that's all that that individual needs. But what if it's not? Right. What are you willing to do to help that individual fit into your life? Or we just sort of, you know, leave a benign neglect. Right. Right. And with horses, that's difficult. I remember watching a few episodes of Caesar Milan with the Dog Whisperer. Oh, right. I remember him. And I'm looking at somebody who's having tr- trouble with the 15-pound Boston Terrier. And I'm thinking, those are my clients sometimes with 1,000 or 1,200 pounds added to it. Yeah, scary. And if she's having trouble walking the dog down the street because it's dragging her around, you add 1,000 pounds, now it's really dangerous. Yeah. And it's accepting that we have a responsibility to that partnership 
to help them fit into the world. Otherwise, they don't, and with horses, it becomes really dangerous. It does, it does. And on the positive side, for people who are listening, going, oh, it sounds really like grim. It's not grim. The putting the consistency and the time into this is extremely rewarding for the person. It isn't just this sort of brutal slog without no. any payoff. I mean, I feel like uh, some of the most rewarding things that I've done in my life, the best work that I've done, have been quiet things that happened between me and the horse. No one was there. And, but those are the things that I remember and that have changed me, not only in my work, but also as a person in a very positive, practical way. And that's the stuff that, you know, you, you wake up for every day, really, I feel like. You, that, that's the stuff that gets you going. And, you know, I mean, personally, I plan to be doing this well into my 90s because as long as I can see something and adjust something or help someone else see it or help a horse, that's just, that's just awesome. And it's really... Um, not a slog it's a slog if you don't have the understanding because then you're kind of guessing and everything but nowadays it's so much easier to have access to information maybe too much information and um but still it's so much easier now to connect with the people who can who can help to connect with you know correct biomechanics to understand this picture more fully um and so i tend to be optimistic that's kind of my thing um and I certainly see that in many of the people that I work with, that they almost always end up getting really excited about changing what's happening in a good way. And they end up really having a completely different relationship and set of goals with the horses that are still very practical and fun. It's not just that now they only want to just stare deeply into their horse's eyes and wonder what the horse thinks. Like they are actually able to go do things together in a way that's so much more rewarding and fun for both of them. And often greatly improved athletic performance too right again you know good points with that we want to you know understand about the horse it's important to um, have an idea you know read the instruction book a little bit right and, and find out my goals had changed from again these outward things of I want to go win a world championship to I want to help this horse discover something it's like if for the people who that listen and have children when your children were small, you helped them learn to, to discover things and how exciting it was to watch them go like, oh, and they figure out how to do something. So when I meet a horse and a rider, I want to help them discover things in their partnership that they didn't know about and find areas where they're having trouble and help them remove those things so that their partnership can go a little farther so it's fun. Sure, I have to talk about safety a lot because it's not fun if it's not safe. Right. I mean, unless right. that's somebody's idea of a good time. And it's not mine. No. And for most people, it's not. Mm-mm. So we want to take care of the safety aspect by having the horse understand things that, you know, the communication, etc. So I can go do things. Yeah, I like to gallop fast. I like to gallop on uneven terrain or downhill. But I also want to do it in a way that I have hedged the safety aspect mm-hmm. so that I can say, wow, that was really cool. Rather than I just, you know, threw caution to the wind and you just hope it, you know. <laughs> hope, it, hope it works, it works out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've all talked to people where the fun suddenly stopped when something else, you know, went went wrong, and now it's not fun, and now somebody's hurt, and people are more scared. Uh, fortunately, the path of safety and refinement travel the same path, because the horse is going to feel better in his body when he's carrying his body in a way it was designed to work. So there we start to take care of the safety, but now we've also started to work on the refinement because now he has more athleticism. Right. So it's not like it's like, oh, i got to go back to basics. I look at it as, let's go forward to basics. Oh, that's great. I love that. Let's go forward to basics, and then let's work on these things 
that help this horse be able to use his body in a better way so he feels better, so he has more to offer to me. And I think that's a great note to end this interview on, which is let's go forward to the basics. Thank you so much for your time, Linda. This was really great and fun. I really appreciate it. So thanks again. Thank you, Linda. For more information about Linda and her clinics, please go to her website, www.lindahoover.com, and visit our show notes for more information on her Facebook page as well. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Linda and I certainly enjoyed it. And as always, I thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.